Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? I guess since this is the final episode of the offer, we're gonna we're gonna do the whole roll call here, curtain call. We're gonna have everybody join in if possible. So, uh, <laughs> hey, how's it going, bubbies? This is Uncle Francis's wild wine cellar, baby. Yeah, you better believe it. A podcast where we break down the films <laughs> of Francis Ford Coppola cut by cut. This is like a Cage Club podcast network production, but I haven't been in like the last three episodes. All right. <laughs> and Mike, chin, F and chin. Yes. Chin, F and chin. <laughs> Hell yeah. I would have dropped the full F-bomb, but I felt like it was too early for that in the episode. Maybe a little later, but <laughs> when I said, uh, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's wine cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but wh- where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. I was just writing my one-page million-dollar pitch for Superman the movie. <laughs> uh, that's why I was late, but here I am. Oh my goodness, we've made it. We've made it to episode 10 of The Offer. It's been a journey. I can't wait to talk about it. I, I have some feelings. I'm sure you do as well. Um, of course, the oh, yeah. Uncle Francis's wine cellar. So we got to be drinking wine, at least me. Um, <laughs> I'm still working on this 2019 Black Label Claret by Francis Coppola Diamond Collection. Still working on it. It's a, it's a good wine, but it's one that definitely I feel in the morning. So I, I drink this one at pace. It's a full-bodied wine, you know? Okay. All right. Well, I... Haven't opened my bottle yet, but I've also I've acquired another one, mm. a, uh, Cabernet, a Cabernet Sauvignon, right here. Oh, that's a good one. 20, I've had that one. 2018 from the Diamond Collection. So hopefully by the next episode, uh, one of these will be open and ready to go, and maybe I'll have my decanter like you do and everything. No decanter today for me, as this wine has been breathing for a while now, but definitely, definitely a useful tool in your. Uh, wine cellar experience uh, so i can't believe we've made it here and i'm glad you guys have made it here uh you cellar dwellers yes. out there you nephews i mean i i'm hoping you're not popping in at episode 10 that would be very weird but if you are great and if not i hope at this point you've subscribed to the podcast google podcast apple podcast spotify stitcher or of course you know you could always listen at cageclub.me if if you're there by the way Leave us, not on cagecult.me, on one of the podcast servers, leave us a positive review or a five-star rating. And remember, you could follow us on social media, on Instagram, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, and on, all, on our personal social medias, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But we're here, Mike, episode 10. Uh, where do you want to begin with this one? Brains and balls. <laughs> That's the name of the episode, man. This was... A fun one. You know, this felt like a victory lap, this episode, right? And um, I think it's pretty well earned, too, you know? I mean, it's so self-congratulatory. It almost went too far at the end with, like, 
uh, with the closing credits and stuff. But man, this has been a lot of fun. I was not expecting this show to be this much fun. I was not expecting this journey and this podcast to start off like this in such a crazy way. Thank you to everyone who has been listening along. We will get to the movies soon, but this was like a fun, unique way to start a podcast about a specific person to see an environment that he was working in and how different people reacted to that person. We're talking about Uncle Francis, of course. So in that way, the offer uh, is very enlightening. It's very enlightening to see how Francis interacted so early on in his career and this movie becoming such a cultural milestone. It'll be fun to see what happens, like to keep charting his career. You know, I know we're going to start with The Godfather. I have to go back and forth and jump around a little bit. But it's interesting that this is like quite a nexus point for the man in terms of how his, uh, his career is going to go. There, there's actually debate um, what the best Francis Ford Coppola movie is, I would say, between the two Godfather, the first two Godfathers and Apocalypse Now. I mean, you could throw some other stuff in there, but. I think those would be the favorites, right? There's no debate on what movie made Francis Ford Coppola a household name, and that is, of course, The Godfather, the subject of the offer. So, Mike, one of the first questions we asked on this show was, did this need to be 10 episodes? I don't think I'm as bullish on this finale as you are. I liked it, but it definitely felt like one of those Game of Thrones finales where the stuff I cared about more happened in the penultimate episode, and this was, as you kind of said, more of like a pat on the back, congratulatory lap, and let's wrap things up. It wasn't necessarily like bad, but it really underscored the belief I pretty much had the entire time that this was probably not a 10-episode story. Now, it surprised me. Maybe it's an 8-episode story. I don't think it's like a one-episode like movie or something, but there felt like there was a lot of extra here that we could have tied up. Not neater, because I think it does tie up neatly, but with less explaining, right? And we'll get into it, but <laughs> yeah, it yeah. really draws this episode out. Yeah, it does. And I guess why I liked it was just the general spirit of the episode was a lot of fun. Like, I don't think they shouldn't have done this episode, but I feel like it didn't need to be... What 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 was it? It's another like almost hour long episode. Yes, an hour. I think Did fifty-eight not, minutes could have been could have been forty. Would have been totally fine with that because I want to see this stuff. Like I want to see the aftermath. I want to see the public reaction, the Academy Awards stuff. What these characters are up to next. Like it's a very interesting time period to think about between when The Godfather was finished and when it came out, and to to see all the action in between there and and what people are up to. But I do have to say, I think 10 episodes was a bit much. I think eight is sort of the sweet spot right now for a lot of series. You know, I, I think of Disney Plus mostly because that's what I watch the most, all those Marvel things. And it's like, yeah, I can't, I would not want more than like eight episodes of any of that stuff. Six was good for some of the Star Wars things too. So I'm about telling it in the time it needs to be told, not kind of fitting it into whether it be a mandate or this preconceived idea that they had, that they had 10 episodes in them. Okay. And it, and it just kind of feels like there wasn't 10 full episodes, 
but but like I said last time, uh, in the pre- previous episode nine, like do ten episodes, just don't make them all the same length. Mm-hmm. Like do with do a forty minute one, do an hour long one, but they don't all have to be stretched out to the same amount. So I think therein lies the trick, possibly in the future. And just finally, like about this particular episode, also feels a lot a lot like what we've been talking about. Also, what if we want to keep going? What are some ideas for the show for season two? Okay, so not that I want to watch them shoot the longest yard, but <laughs> the God, you know, but the Godfather too. Or you hear about Evans makes that five picture deal. You know, what's he producing next? So in that sense too, you know, maybe they were kind of hedging their bets with this episode a little bit on top of everything else. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. You never know with that. You know what I mean? And also you were right in a sense, and I mentioned it last time, that this became sort of like a Paramount story. And then in general, just like a movie-making story of the era. We get a lot of that here, too. It's so meta. It's it's so meta, and not necessarily in an intelligent way. But another thing I was thinking, like, the whole time they're debating, like, oh, should we have gone with the shorter version or the longer version? Thank God we went with the longer version for The Godfather, right? Maybe they should have gone for the shorter version with the offer. You know, I think we're both in agreement. <laughs> Very fun. The other thing I want to bring up off the top here is the whole Al Ruddiness of this thing. So I did try to do a lot of research this time on Ruddy. Yeah. Because this yeah. felt super self-congratulatory to everybody, but especially to Ruddy. Oh, well, yeah, he wins the Oscar. And then he's like, you know... <laughs> It's trying to tell us that he's right for choosing The Longest Yard over The Godfather 2, which is a good movie. Don't get me wrong. That's a good movie, but like... So good they made it twice. <laughs> yeah, it's a Sandler version. But, <laughs> but like, it's not The Godfather 2. You can't be like, well, I listened to that one on my own. Well, and plus, it's basically Hogan's Heroes, except with football instead mm-hmm. of World War Two. It's like he's a one trick pony in a lot of ways you might as well stay on the horse without the head the godfather horse (laughs) instead of you know your bunch of dudes together in prison movie stories tv shows sort of pitches in retrospect it might not have been the best idea to walk away but it is funny how the show frames it where it tells you at the end this finally this was you were supposed to be following ready for the most of this show this was his story because at the end he walks away from it all. Like he did like proudly, proudly just get, I'm going to give it all up, Evans. You know, this was great, but I'm off to my next thing. And like, I'm like Evans, I'm like, whatever, dude, like you do you, but like, there's a meal ticket here and I'm just going to keep eating. So it's very interesting how it's framed that, for lack of a better term, Ruddy's the hero here. You know, he made the Godfather, he got the Oscar, and that's all he needed. And again, in the last episode, it's like, oh, you know, we rewrite history as a way to kind of process it and tolerate it. And with who said to that? To deal line? with the horrors of it. It was, uh, oh, it was, uh, what's it, his name? it was Charlie. It was Charlie, Charlie who said it, yeah. right? So, yeah, this is Ruddy's version of that. Um, Peter Bart, who we mentioned. A couple times on the episode, he's like, uh, what would you say his position on the show is? He's definitely like a Paramount person. So if Evans is the head of Paramount, he's Evans' 
number one guy, his mm-hmm. assistant, like the the lead. not like secretary assistant kind of thing. He's no, like, no, he's like number two at Paramount. I think is is what the idea there is. Is like there's Evans, there's him, and then you know everybody else pretty much down the line. So I mentioned that Peter Bart became like a renowned film writer and critic. And about a year before the show, he had this great, and you can find it on YouTube, but he has this great interview with Ruddy. And they seemed to get along swimmingly. But since then, he was a little miffed that he wasn't consulted on the show or that anyone was consulted on the show. And he's actually been writing reviews of the episodes and sort of pointing out the flaws. It's a little scathing, so I'm not going to say Peter... Bart is a hundred percent right here either. I don't know. I wasn't there, but he was portrayed extremely well on the show. I thought so too, me. especially toward in the beginning and towards the end. Right. So it's not so much his portrayal that he criticizes. Well, again, because he was he was portrayed well. It was the mafia thing because he's like I had no recollection of that. But now, yeah. and, and I got this actually off of uh, what I've been citing a lot here. What to watch is whattowatch.com's um, Fact vs. Fiction, The Offer. And this is, uh, the author of this is Michael Baldestron. He quotes Peter Bart from, like, certain interviews recently as saying that, at this point, Francis and Ruddy were not even talking, like at the end of the movie. <laughs> Evans wasn't really jiving well with Ruddy. They didn't have the best relationship. Mm-hmm. So th- he's like, this depicts it as Ruddy walking away. But in real life, it was more, he didn't really have much of a choice because he wasn't jiving with these people. Mm. And at this point, Francis is on top of the world. And I'm bringing it up not to bash Ruddy. I'm bringing it up because this is Uncle Francis' wine cellar. Of course. That Francis was on top of the world. He was the biggest director in Hollywood, the biggest name. They already mentioned he had started filming The Conversation. That he is so powerful. Amazing. That's a masterpiece. I can't wait to watch that movie. Gene Hackman, probably the most underrated movie in his catalog because you don't hear. I, I think that's the, a lot because, like, it, I mean, that's not to get too sidetracked here. But when we get to the conversation, like, that's when I realized what a true character piece was. I think you know that was some that's some crazy shit. But for okay. sure, for sure, Ruddy and Francis are kind of going in two different paths. Yeah, Ruddy wins the Oscar for producer, but he's not a household name at, at this point. It's Francis, so Francis feels like he could just kind of be the lead producer on the film and he has the power for it so why not yeah. i'm not sure who's listed as the lead producer but remember at this point evans is like i'm all in on producing so we'll get there when we get to the godfather well, my name on the poster <laughs> well well you know it's kind of funny you mentioned all that stuff about ruddy and like i kind of got a sense that they were doing as politely as possible that he just they were not on the same page anymore you know i don't think they wanted to portray it as you know, he was sort of being shown the door or, you know, pushed out of meetings or whatever, because they do stuff like that in there. He comes to Evans with ideas and Evans is like, not now, like we're mm-hmm. we're in Godfather mode and like all this kind of thing. So I can understand him not being able to navigate the business as swiftly because you get into that in this episode. You know, Francis is off filming and Evans has Chinatown and a list of other things going and puzo's writing superman and all this shit you know like everybody else is kind of like active except for ruddy and and a big part of the show has been he's a fish out of water this is not his game he is not a hollywood dude like he's basically been getting lucky so i think they were trying to do it in a, you know 
I don't know. That's that's just a very difficult. Those are difficult waters to navigate where the end of uh, of the relationship isn't exactly going along swimmingly and stuff. But I can I can understand. Everyone's busy. You make a movie together doesn't mean you're going to see each other for the rest of your life. You know, it's not like you know you get together every Friday or anything. So it's hard to really portray all that one way or the other. uh, Coming down on Ruddy harder or not, I don't know. I feel like they came down on him pretty hard, as if to say in this episode, like, not that you're not cut out for it, but you just don't move at the same speed. It's like you can't produce two movies at once when you kind of should be able to produce two movies at once or something. Yeah, no, that that's a fair take. I, and I don't think it's all sunny with Ruddy. They do depict it, though, like everyone just loves each other at the end, right? Like, Well, it's the oscar party like they all just won oscars and shit and like as far as ready be ever being a household name like aside from like evans and like some of the older studio guys like producers were not household names like i remember watching the academy awards and when the best picture would win i was like who are these yeah, guys always always where are the actors where's the director like who are these guys you know so it's just not part of film culture as far as uh, like the media goes, they don't really care who's producing the movie. They care who directed it, who wrote it, who's starring in it. Like all the stuff in front of the camera basically is what's getting all the attention. So, you know, if Ruddy is looking for that, if he's looking for to be a household name, this is not the way to do it. Try <laughs> to be an actor or something. And it's funny because in a sense, you're right. They might go their separate ways. Maybe they weren't on speaking terms, but They're all largely successful after this. And that's not, you know, a Hollywood fabrication here, right? We have Evans producing Chinatown and so many other great movies. Like, Evans becomes a legendary producer in his own right, aside from being a studio head. Kind of already was in a lot of ways. He he was one godfather away from being the legend, you know, already. It's not like godfather was like lightning in a bottle. He had done Rosemary's and Love Story and... You know, so he wait, was wait, on a wait. roll. Speaking just... of love story, though, Mike, I can't believe that they're con- they continued that whole Ally McGraw thing. I'm not necessarily against it, but like <laughs> yeah. her showing up, like, oh, you know, divorce papers, but let's be friends. Let's go to the premiere. Uh, we're rewriting history, Bubby. We're saying what we want so we could deal with the pain. I had a dream. I had a dream. I had Ally on one arm and Kissinger on the other, and we were walking into the premiere. Everything was great. And the dream <laughs> happens. And I think I mentioned last time that he didn't find out about the affair until after the premiere. At, at least that's right. what I read. So was she with him at the premiere? Possibly. But I don't think he knew about it at the time. So it's depicted a little bit differently here. Mm-hmm. Regardless. I know, I know Kissinger was there. Yes, so yes. I do want to talk insane. about that. I mean, let's talk about it now. You had mentioned this a couple of times. I'm like, are they really going to depict this? But yeah, I guess it was a big deal that Kissinger was there. Charlie really wanted but to like, meet him. The worst depiction of Kissinger I've ever seen on screen. He he didn't even do the boys. He he didn't even try. Like my Kissinger's not good. Like you can't. It's hard to do a good Kissinger. You gotta get really down there. But like he didn't even try to do the Kissinger. Like I was disappointed. Of all the great, I mean, we get Burt Reynolds. What did you think of Burt? <laughs> Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe, I know we're bouncing all over the place, but you mentioned Burt Reynolds. I can't believe how much of The Longest Yard they show in this, you know, or how much they're (laughs) they're selling it to us. We're like, what? You know, they show scenes of filming The Longest Yard at some points. They're teasing it. They're teasing it. We get Betty being her 
her new agent self being like, you know who'd be great for this? Burt Reynolds. And he's like, get on it. And then right then I'm like, hmm, what Burt Reynolds movie? It must have been super early. What was his? Are they going to? Is this about the longest yard? And then like four more scenes about the longest yard, like all the Ruddy stuff. It was crazy. Yeah. And Ruddy again goes on to produce the longest yard and a couple other films, some great, some not so great. He ends up, I mean, he's still active today, pretty much, but he ends up. Yeah, that um, the cry something. I cry macho. Cry yeah, yeah. He did. Cry like macho. A, a yeah. Eastwood he film. works with Eastwood, I guess. Yeah, because he also did Million Dollar yeah, Baby. Yeah, which he won his second Best Picture Oscar for. <laughs> we get a Clint Eastwood voice impression at the <laughs> Academy Awards. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, again, you mentioned Betty. She is successful as an agent which we already talked about with tom Selleck and various other people but mostly known for being tom george clooney we find out oh yeah yeah that was a that was a cool one yeah i don't know why ruddy's like it's it's a little weird with the two of them right like she's still working for him but then he's like they're like brother sister it's it's they're like siblings to me so like you know you help out your sibling you you won't mind maybe helping them buy a house or something if you can afford it you know yeah i get it but I was just confused that he had rented that whole office for her, which is great. And then she's still questioning, like, are you okay with me leaving? He better be. He just rented a place for two. He just rented the whole (laughs) place. Of course. And he even, you know what I like, too, is that he even said, like, something to the effect of, you were also a producer on this, you know? Or, like, yeah, it wasn't exactly like that. But he's like, I I didn't do this alone. Like, you were, you know, like you got to take some of the credit. It was sort of, there was sort of a talk. I can't say it verbatim. I don't remember exactly, but like, I think at the office and stuff where he was just giving her the, like, you could do anything you put your mind to speech. It was a lot like, you know, and I couldn't have done this without you. So it's a thank you thing. And it's funny because I don't know if that happened in real life, but I'm actually happy it happened this way in the show because at the very least it's ruddy potentially rewriting history and acknowledging Betty's role. And now for anyone who watches this show, they're going to remember how important this person was and Betty and, you know, almost equal, at least the show depicts to Ruddy and, and Peter and all the other people who put this movie together. So yeah, I mean, Bravo on that and Bravo that the show uh, made this person who I don't think anyone knew about just acknowledged and, Shine a spotlight on her, you know? Yeah, and, and Juno Temple played her with, like, perfect pitch yeah. to navigate this series filled with these larger-than-life characters, except for Al Ruddy. <laughs> 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 like, she herself just portrayed her as a person, and it was enough because she's pretty much the only woman in the entire series, you know? And she had to carry that entire thing on her shoulders – so she didn't really need to be bombastic to stand out like all the guys because all the guys are fighting for attention, you know? So she had a very interesting role throughout this entire series. And I think Juno Temple was amazing. You know, I, I have not, not watched her on screen this long. Like in movies I've seen her in, she's sort of like in and out or not a main character. So it was cool to watch her really sh- kind of stretch those legs and – uh those acting muscles and get to watch her uh, like sink her teeth into and actualize this person as a role. 
Yeah, like I, I watched Ted Lasso. She's great in Ted Lasso. Still got to see it. Great show, yeah. great show. But she, yeah, she's amazing in that. And she's been nominated for Emmys and that. But she's she knocked it out of the park. Even you know, Ruddy. I have my issues, but um, look, I thought Miles look, Teller did just, a great job. Just, <laughs> just because, just because uh, Ruddy's a, a boring sad sack, like doesn't mean Miles Teller didn't do a great job portraying that. <laughs> That's how close I could get to my Al Ruddy. You, you know, wait, wait. You know who you kind of sound like, and I think you'll get a kick out of this. You sound, who is that? You sound like the thing from the Fantastic Four. Hey, it's clobbering time, guys. <laughs> Let's go make this movie. I, I got a restaurant on Yancey Street. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's funny because he was in a Fantastic Four movie. Ah, um, not as the thing, unfortunately. No, but Miles Teller did a great job portraying Ruddy because as far as I could tell, Ruddy is just like a guy who's constantly in over his head, you know? And <laughs> as a viewer, like... That's sort of where I wanted to be in the show. Like, knowing as much as I know about The Godfather, I wanted to kind of be in a spot where I was kind of trying to catch up to it at points. And I got that out of the show. Like, I wanted the show to sort of, like, take me on a ride, you know, instead of walk me through the process. And I think it succeeded like that. So, And, and top to bottom, though, I, I think the performances stand out so, so much over sometimes even the material, right? Like... I mean, we, oh yeah, Burn Gorman. Burn Gorman was amazing in this, and it's so against <laughs> the, the type he's played before. Yeah, the energy. He wasn't like the sinister, creepy guy in the background. He was the leader of this corporation, and you felt it in this show. So you know, bravo to him. The character just seems like almost like a guy with this Napoleonic complex, right? And and he was able to do that without being a villain. You know what I mean? Like like Charlie was not the necessarily no. the bad guy it was more barry and the rest of the company but like that is that is a very hard thing to do to be a lovable quote-unquote bad guy like he was you know made out to be in a lot of ways but still very charming but also very kind of eccentric just a lot of things to hit that he hit very well yeah again i can't speak enough about his performance every time he came on the screen i was excited and that's for a role that he played it's not always the case, right? Like like you said, the bad guy right. or just the opposition to um, everything we want in the film. Like he was actually warm at times and really yeah. funny at times and scary at times, oh, yeah. but not in like a villain kind of way. Just because he had power and he carried himself like he had power and it was amazing. One of the early scenes with him when he finds out like the mob was involved, he's like smashing a TV with his golf club. And then in this episode, he's playing golf again in his office but he's like hitting it against the wall and stuff it's very it's just funny how he uh kind of commands power in this show oh for sure for sure and you mentioned um lapidus colin hanks excellent job as well Ugh. just trying to go down the list here but yeah you know he yeah i know but just so just like such a smarmy sack of crap right like just like a dump just this guy who just wants to like rain on every parade and just takes out the checkbook and is like nope can't afford it sorry or like it's like that joke oh man what was it? i don't know what it, some joke i remember hearing growing up where someone was like um oh here's your hamburger and it's like oh except like you live in my house. oh i think it was maybe sinbad where it's like parents talking to his child and he's like okay here's your hamburger except like you don't pay rent so he takes like a bite out of the hamburger <laughs> and then he's like oh but like 
you know, we also pay for all your clothes. And then like by the time of the speech, like the hamburger's gone or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of had like that vibe going. Yeah, no. And he was great. He just represented like everything we hate about corporate America and just that level of lack of fun in certain things. He was a fun sucker, but that was his that was his purpose in the show. Yeah, yeah. If Evans was the party, then Lapidus is the party pooper. For sure. And, and again, I, there's so many people on the movie that did such a great job. And when I say the movie, I mean like the actors. We don't see them all. They had this strategy where, yeah, it's a big cast, but almost again, Game of Thrones style, like people will take multiple episodes off until they return. We finally get Puzo back here. Um, but we really don't get like a lot of Filipino <laughs> and a lot of the other actors in these later well, scenes. Okay, I... Yeah, I think it was a mistake. I think they the one thing they might have learned early on to kind of cut back on is that because one thing there was way too much of was Sinatra. Remember fucking Sinatra? Oh, I have a whole I have a whole what? thing about this. I have a whole thing. Like about this. wait, but like the, you know, I think the show by by like episode 5 was like fuck, like we can't do this with Brando. Like we can't have Pacino show up every episode. He, they, we have to sprinkle the rest of these real life characters in very gingerly from the re- for the rest of the run here because they ruined it with Sinatra. The Sinatra thing was weird, and like, it just gets dropped. Right, there's a lot of avenues that not get dropped because it was sloppy, but actually probably was better that they were dropped. Yeah. How about Francois? She gets a she gets a mention. She gets like a brief mention. I thought they were going to do this because, um, do you remember that documentary? I don't know if you watched it, but you certainly heard of it. Uh, Wild Wild Country about like that cult in Oregon. Oh. It was very popular on Netflix. Uh-huh. So she becomes a prominent member of that cult. I mean, some people don't call it no. a cult. But yes. So she's actually in Wild Wild Country, the documentary, the real Francois, whatever her name is now. And I thought they were going to tie that in somehow. Like, oh, and she became part of this. But we don't even get that. Um, look her up. Wow. Wow, Ruddy dodged that bullet, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But I was shocked to hear him kind of try to give divorce advice to Evans and be like, yeah, buddy, you know, uh, Francois, what can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lapidus has that nice joke where he's like, you know what the leading cause of divorce is? Marriage. Yeah. He's like, I've been uh, married three times. Was, like, really? You don't seem like it. That was a that was a bit much for his character, but you could tell that first marriage when he's like, she tore me to shreds. It's like, oh yeah, like she walked all over you. Like that's why you, part of the reason you are the way you are. <laughs> yeah, that was a little odd, but it is what it is. I do want to mention, in terms of the acting and the performances, you and I had not complained, but discussed how sometimes the mafia stuff was unnecessary. I complained. I will admit, I complained. <laughs> well, we really put it to bed last episode because there is no yeah. mafia in this episode. The mafia got its grand finale at that premiere. <laughs> this is all Hollywood, bubby. I couldn't believe in the sort of like credits roll that they actually mentioned Joe Colombo, where they're like, Joe didn't die from that coma, but he died pretty soon after that. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It was the weirdest thing. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot all the hell. I I forgot all about him. Because, yeah, there is none of that in this. This is all basically, you know, like the year between the the film is shot and the Oscars. So you go through like 
the premiere and then the academy awards and everything leading up to all that stuff so yeah they're pretty much out of the picture you know brian if you want to cut the episode number you cut a lot of that mob stuff if not all of it that isn't 100 percent necessary you do one maybe one and a half episodes with joe colombo you know just welcome to new york what do you need i got what i got your back i got your back you know and then you come to him once to to square all that shit and you you don't even play with it anymore because it's really not that necessary yeah you know looking back i don't actually mind colombo and ruddy here there i don't need to see the mob war happening in the background right like i don't need to see crazy joe gallo out of jail and <laughs> the joker running wild <laughs> like remember where there's a uh, scene with him like up in harlem like meeting the guys like what are we gonna do about it you know what i mean like Dude, yeah, I could have sworn there's a scene I made up in my head where he robs a bank and then <laughs> blows it up with a car bomb or something. No, no, unfortunately, we don't get that. <laughs> I know, but it's the kind. That's the kind of guy they introduce all of a sudden, where it's just you know, you're, you're expecting him to like, I don't know, throw someone in front of the subway or something. And honestly, it's fun to talk about, but if we're talking about making this show tighter, I don't know. Let me see. Just going through my notes. Oh, Cabaret. What a bunch of shout-outs yeah. for Cabaret in this episode. Bob huh? Fosse. Yeah, Fosse, very Fosse. cool. Yeah. Love Fosse. Uh, in my opinion, has only made perfect movies. Like, every, every movie of his that I've seen has been perfect. That's stiff competition, Bobby. You know, never saw the movie. Never will. That's what Evans tells Coppola. So good. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's awesome. Um, and it's just cool to be in that moment and see the things that it was going up against and how Cabaret becomes its uh, the Godfather's biggest rival for Oscars and, a, and just really a bunch of stuff, right? Like when they're going to release yeah. it, that's a big deal here. And they do have that interesting... Interesting thing that oh, actually the business model, yeah, the business model that actually did happen, the change in Hollywood, and this is one of the things that you know you'll read about in books, like instead of slowly rolling out movies in certain cities throughout the country and hoping for that slow burn, it's Lapidus who suggests it, which I'm like, oh, that's cool, and then I remembered he was a fictional character, so whoever's the unnamed exec at Paramount who suggested this, bravo. Yep. It's hard to explain to the modern viewer, but it's just to release the movie in a lot of theaters around the country at the same time, which is every movie essentially now, except like indie films. Yeah. Not common at the time, and that's a true story. Yeah, and you know, not 100% common when I was a child. Yeah, I, I can remember having to wait to see films still that Ooh. would travel around the country that didn't get 100% really? wide releases. Yeah, yeah, like... Um, I think E.T. Like E.T. took a took like maybe a couple months to get to my neighborhood. Hard to say for sure what movies I'm talking about, but like I can remember needing to wait a while or like going back and being like, when did I see that movie? And it was like six or seven months. Oh, you know what it could have been, Brian? <laughs> Here's what it could have been. The way I'm misremembering it, movies just used to stay in theaters yes. for like five or six months. That's true. That's so- true. So there's also less that's probably releases. what happened. So that's why that as well. as well. Yeah, that as well. So when I saw E.T., it was probably at the end of the run and it was probably like month eight or something like that. Uh, plus, I was like four, maybe. <laughs> it's funny. I'm glad they did bring that up in the show because that is going on. The, that does affect the history of distribution moving forward. So they did change 
things there. I loved everything that was happening in this episode, but because it takes place over a year, I'm almost finding it hard to explain it. We're in a lot of places at a lot of times, right? I already mentioned uh, Evans's divorce and acceptance and bringing uh, McGraw, Ally McGraw, to the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, premiere and all that, right? Uh, Ruddy's Longest Yard thing, Betty's Fate. So it's just really to tie things together. Francis, we already know what he's going to go on to do and all the amazing projects. And again, he's working on the conversation. It's Godfather 2. And I liked seeing Puzo here and how excited they were to start writing again. How about Francis's uh, orange suit at the premiere? Love yeah, that. That was interesting. That was. I wonder if that was for real. Got to find some pictures. But yeah, I loved the pitch for Godfather 2. Oh, you know, yeah. I love how much oh. Evans is into it. I love how they brought it up. Like, Don Corleone isn't dead, you know? And he's like, <laughs> he's in the fucking ground, Bobby. What are you talking he's about? A ghost. He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what is he, a ghost? They're not going to do a fucking ghost picture. <laughs> uh, but it's great how they have that idea and they're mining the book, but they're also expanding, you know? And, and Ruddy's like, well, what about Michael? And they're like, well, we got that covered too. Yeah, it's nice to see all that kind of stuff coming together. They're pushing Godfather 2, and Ruddy's trying to push the longest yard, and it's obvious that, like, they're going to have to come to terms, you know, come to some kind of disagreement or split. That's going to cause the rift, because that is almost every scene where it's like, if anyone's in the room with Al creatively, it's Godfather 2, and he's trying to talk about other movies the whole time. The other interesting scene that was fun is you hear, I've heard about this too, just following movies my whole life, is like um, the Oscar announcements. Like that's almost more fun than the actual Academy Awards scene (laughs) because we don't see anyone go up and really give a speech. But it's fun to see Ruddy and Evans like up at 5 a.m. having cocktails, like getting ready to watch the nominations on television and stuff. So, yeah, you know, we talked around this episode and skipped around and all that's how this finale felt designed. Like there really wasn't an anchor point. It was just a lot of like, you know. What happens next? I don't know. We'll find out. Let's see. And since, yeah, spoilers for history, we know everything that happens. Like, there's no real drama this episode. Mm -hmm. There's no tension. There's none of that. It just feels like you just watched nine episodes. Here's one to just kind of like think about everything you saw. You know what I'm saying? Just like let it all sink in and, and recall what we just went through and just relax and let it all out with this one. You know, it just kind of felt like a breather or something so i liked it in that regard i think a lot of shows try and do too much with a finale to be quite honest they try to do the crazy cliffhangers or like wait until the last five minutes to resolve everything you know stranger things really started frustrating me with their finales and because they all sort of you know culminate in the very end and it's so i kind of like the idea that the show was over and then we got sort of like uh like an extra episode in a lot of ways. You know, it was just like this little, like, coda. Godfather coda. Godfather coda, yeah. I mean, that's what I said. Like, it reminded me of a lot of seasons of Game of Thrones where we would have this crazy-ass battle in the penultimate episode. And then the, the last episode would just either set up the next season or just do this, right? Like, tie some loose ends together, tell you where all the players are going to be, and so on, right? Okay, a couple things I wanted to mention looking at my notes. Uh, loved, again, when they're talking sort of the future of Paramount and what their future is going to be. And Evans is talking about Serpico and the great Gatsby and all these other projects. 
yeah. that are coming along. Love that. What I didn't like so much, or I just felt like it was unnecessary, is that like one guy, Eddie something, who just shows up on set, talks to Ruddy. He's like, oh, I admire you. I'd love to be in, in like a movie or I'd love to be a producer or whatever. And he's like, I'll call you, whatever. And then we see he's a producer on The Longest Yard. It's like, okay, I don't know this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I ran and Googled him. I was like, am I supposed to know who the fuck this is? I couldn't find him. Did you? No. <laughs> so what is this? <laughs> and they made it out to be like fucking Star Wars where it's like, yeah. <laughs> Hey, like, hey! Oh, Greedo, you were a friend of Anakin Skywalker as a child, or you or it's know? like, hey, legacy character, it's me, like that other guy that everyone already knows, but as a child instead of an adult. Uh, or like we're meeting for the first time in the Nolan Batman's. It's like, oh, what's your name? What's your middle name? It's Robin. You know, like it was like supposed to be like a mic drop moment, but we don't know this yeah. guy. I don't know who this is. It was just weird. Just bizarre. You know what? I think already imagined that and like, you know, he had a fever dream because he won the Academy Award. He couldn't believe it. He walked out of his office one day and hit his head and his vision of some kid sneaking on the lot reminded him of himself or something. I don't know. And the only other uh, note we haven't mentioned that I have is that they allude to Brando not showing up to the Oscars and sending uh, the Native American <laughs> woman, what's her name? Uh, Sasheen Littlefeather, I think her name was. And to do, and to do that speech about Native Americans, and she gets booed famously, right? Yeah, I wish they didn't do the thing where Betty goes like, this should be interesting. And then like later <laughs> at the rap party, everyone was like, did you see the speech for Brando? So wild. And, you know, like, no shit, dude. Like, we don't, we don't need that. <laughs> well, Mike, I'm glad you bring, brought that up. It's, it's funny that they, they're like, what's going to happen, right? When they're sitting, like, Coppola's literally sitting next to her. Like, he's not like, oh... Who's this yeah. Native American lady next to me, you know? Brando's not that good an actor. <laughs> and to be clear, if you haven't, for whatever reason, watched the show or you're not familiar with this famous Oscar moment, when I say, like, oh, who's the Native American lady? It's not that, like, she's just a Native American lady. She's dressed in um, whatever her tribe. Yeah, full, authentic, yeah, regalia. Just culturally just... appropriate attire for whatever tribe she's a part of going up there and... Yeah. Saying her spiel. And you know what? That's a powerful protest moment. It was booed at the time, but today probably would be cheered, or I would hope, right? So, like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna make a stance like, on it either way. Like, that's not what we're here for. But it's just exactly, Mike. They're like, hey, what's going on? You know? Oh. <laughs> you know what's wild, though? I was thinking about it. Like, at the time, that's considered sort of, like, shocking, you know? And then I think about the Academy Awards we just had. Oh, boy. Where a guy punched someone in the fucking face on clap, live screen clap. TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't. Oh, the Academy Awards, the Oscars. You, uh, you could say slap. Yeah, I guess he slapped them. It was a slap. It was a slap. Yeah, it was a slap. I didn't, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, for context, like, it's crazy how far the Academy Awards has gone yeah. as far as, like, being shocking. I think they were more upset, not because of the cause, because it is a noble cause. I think they were more upset, like, Okay, what if everyone does this? Like, what if we have just every award someone... Well, tough shit. ...with their cause? Yeah, just, that's why. I mean, just, it would ruin the award show, but I don't care. Well, I mean, those awards... Look, for two seconds, just to get on my soapbox about the Please. Oscars, it's already a ruined award show. It's already ruined. Oh, like, I, gotta, I, I don't I don't. You disagree. cannot... No host. Just celebrities saying people who've won. That's the whole show. I don't need any... 
bits or maybe a musical number or two, that's fine if it's the song that's nominated. But, like, cut the shit. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I don't really care. But I was happy this year because Coda won, and that's a high school movie, and we had just covered it, so... Happy about that. Well, I'm saying if you get if you're gonna get me to watch the show, then I just want to see people telling me who won. That's all I want out of an award show. It's so funny, Mike, because on Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, we have to kind of have a different approach to these things because Third Time's a Charm and The Monsters That Made Us and High School Slumber Party. Despite Coda just winning, we don't talk about Oscar movies too much. <laughs> you know, let's be honest, right? Yeah. That's true. Mostly Razzie movies over on my <laughs> podcast. But we're going to be talking about a bunch of Oscar-nominated films. And honestly, we'll be talking about some Razzie films, too, in Uncle Francis' Wine Cellar. Wasn't Jack one of those films? I believe I Jack was. I don't think I've seen that. I don't think I've seen it in its entirety. Kyle Reinfried, the foodie films man who's already been on this podcast, loves Jack, so... Maybe we'll bring him on for that episode. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, Mike, this is going to be such a fun journey. And you're right. I'm so glad we started with the offer because it just sets up the Godfather and it sets up everything we're going to do. And I'm so happy not to go linearly. I'm happy to sort of start at Francis's arguably, I don't want to say his peak, but his, the start of the peak, right? Like, what do you call that? There's like a Probably a French term for it, but... Well, like, his base camp? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, like, this isn't, like, the first movie he's made, mm-hmm. The Godfather, you know? he He's had a couple films under his belt, so, like, this is sort of his high watermark right now, you know? Like, this is, at the time, the pinnacle of his career, and this is what people are going to expect from him from now on. This is the quality and the caliber of filmmaking and things that they're going to expect from him you know like a lot in the same ways that when spielberg comes out and does like jaws and close encounters and then it's like he did 1942 and people are like what the fuck are you doing (laughs) just go back and do what you're supposed to do you know it's like it feels a lot like that's gonna happen uh along the way where it's like coppola's got amazing movies but i can only imagine how incredibly hard they were to make and you can't make those every time and he's gonna have a couple sort of bombs in there somewhere or other so i'm looking forward to the whole thing man the whole shebang i'm glad we started this way because it also it's such a weird way to start a podcast (laughs) that it's gonna help us maintain the lack of continuity if you will by us jumping all over the place i think it'll make it a little easier than going in order and a lot more fun a lot more fun for sure because if we started with all those weird Coppola, you know, from Corman uh, like, to Like uh, Dementia 13 yeah. and The Terror and I hear you. Even that Finnegan's Rainbow. Like, we can't start there. Yeah, because it's just, yeah, especially since we're doing either monthly or bi-monthly, we still got to kind of figure our rhythm there. Like, it would take a while before we got to The Godfather, you know. And we're doing every cut. So if we did things linearly, what would we do? Like five Godfathers in a row? Yeah, that's a good point. We could we can revisit The Godfather every once in a while. That's what's great, I think, about this show, if you don't mind me saying. We're going to revisit the, the great <laughs> films a lot because of how many times he cut them. Now, I know The Godfather doesn't have The Godfather proper, and The Godfather 2, to be frank, doesn't have a lot of cuts itself. But it does when you count all those mashups and godfather legacy godfather yeah this yeah. godfather that right special feature discs that we're gonna have to cover and we're gonna do a lot of godfather content here it's not gonna be an exclusive godfather show but 
there are so many Godfather games out there. Like, I kind of want to get the video game, the Godfather video game, and play it or even just watch a watch-along of it. Yeah, yeah. Board games, too? Like, who knows? The, the, the world's our oyster right now. I feel like I got one of my brothers the Godfather video game one year for, like, PS2, but it could have been the Sopranos game. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll, I'll ask him and find out and see if I get it. But definitely watching a walkthrough on YouTube or something, that'd be fun. You know, I don't think this is going to be too much of a guest-heavy show, but we might bring a guest here or there for some films. I already mentioned, you know, Kyle, perhaps on, on Jack. My partner in crime and good podcast friend, Kate Hudson, the first the first time she was ever on High School Slumber Party, Mike, was, of course, of course it was a Coppola film. And it was a Cage film because it was Peggy Sue Got Married, so... That's going to be a fun one that, that we're going <laughs> to cover. Maybe we'll bring her on. Maybe we'll bring yeah. Who and who knows, right? But like, I, I I got an idea. I got an idea. You know, maybe I can bring bring Dan Colon on for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Of course, that made yeah. us co-host. We'll do something like Mike, that. Mike, 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 Mike. I need some Bubby. I need some of your monsters that made us audience to come over here. Let's be honest. <laughs> you, need, you need the bump, honey. That's what you got to get. You gotta get oh, hey, Mikasa is <laughs> Yeah, the crossover the crossover of a lifetime. Yeah, I can't, I've never seen that one, so I can't wait to watch that film. Ooh. It just it just got released on 4K. I'm thinking about, I don't have a lot of 4K discs. I'm thinking about buying that one because that's a gorgeous movie. I can't wait to talk Do about that. Do you know if it's a different cut on 4K or is it just... I don't think he ever recut that movie. I think that's a one and done. Uh, I think he had to because a lot of those effects were optical. So, like, they're done in camera. Mm. And so you're kind of stuck with what you got with a lot of that stuff. Very interesting audio commentary. Look forward to to re-listening to that, too. We've weaved throughout this episode our feelings on the entire series of The Offer as a whole. But anything else you want to say regarding the show? I mean, I know people I want to recommend it to. I actually really, really enjoyed it. I might even watch it again at some point because it was super fun. Mm-hmm. But Mike, anything else you want to say on the offer? Yeah, I wish I could recommend this show and then like hand out a free subscription to Paramount Plus or something. You know, I think that's the only thing in its way mm. is that People don't want to, at least people in my family don't want to subscribe to another streaming service to watch more shit. Um, you know, if this was on Amazon or maybe they could go, watch, you know, do a free trial through their Amazon. If that's possible, I would recommend this to way more people. But I think the way it is, it's like, I'm going to tell my brother to watch this and he's going to be like, what's 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 it on? Is it on Netflix? I'm going to be like, no, nah, it's on Paramount Plus. He's going to be like, what's that? I've never heard of that. And I'm going to have to explain him what Paramount Plus is. So I just wish there was a more accessible way for the people in my life to be able to check this out because even I'm not very tech savvy, but I can handle streaming services, you know, I can handle that. Uh, but some people might, some people I know are just, they're fed up, you know, they don't want another, they don't want to have to sign up for another fucking free trial, you know, as silly as that sounds. So hopefully one way someday this will be more accessible they should just air it on television what is paramount's network they have a paramount network just start playing this on tv and i guarantee the ratings will skyrocket like why can't this be on tv they say fuck a lot they 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 curse a lot 
Mike, you make some very, very valid points when it comes to this, though. Like, The Godfather is an old movie. At this point, it is a very old movie, right? It's, it was released before you and I were born. Uh, 50 years old or some shit, right? And not to, yeah, we just had the anniversary. Not to disparage that generation at all. Because a lot of them are tech savvy, but a lot of them aren't, right? So Paramount Plus, I know what they're trying to do. And actually, I like Paramount Plus. I've been watching it a lot more, and I think it has some great yeah. stuff. The Nickelodeon Vault is yeah. amazing on there. But that just shows my age, right? Like, it's hard for me to convince my mother to get another streaming service, show her where to find it, and watch this show. You're so right. If it was on cable... I think it would have had more of a buzz, but I still think there's a there's a chance for this show. It's a slow burn. I think it's going to spread via word of mouth. It's very opposite to The Godfather, which was a popular adaptation of a popular, popular book and was popular instantly. This show, anyone who has seen it, who has talked to me, has liked it, has thought it was fun. So I'm with you, Mike. If it had a bigger stage, I really think that it would be more in the cultural zeitgeist but either way i enjoyed it i don't care and yeah i can't wait to show it to the godfather uh fans of my life yeah and i think most importantly what i'll have to say about the show like my favorite thing about the show aside from matthew good it's bob evan for me <laughs> nothing nothing's ever gonna touch that emmy again. give him an emmy i'm saying it right now the last Emmy. It's the last Emmy you have to give out ever to anybody ever. But my favorite thing that they did is that they they didn't take themselves serious. Like they didn't go for the prestige. Like they didn't they could have so easily had a stick up their ass, right? The whole series. And and by that I mean like taking themselves too seriously. Like cuz they know what they have they have the godfather and the godfather is taken very seriously by a lot of people so i think it was a very smart sort of angle to make this a fun funny enjoyable show like that like it's very opposite of the godfather itself you know like in tone tonally you can't get further away from this and the godfather i feel i agree and i think that was a very smart choice i think People might be a little turned off when they hear about the show because they might think it, it it's going to be heavy, you know? And I'm just glad it wasn't, you know? I'm, it's breezy. It's fun. It's so much fun. I'm doing Bob Evans impressions all fucking day, you know? Like, people at stores at the at the gas stations are looking at me sideways. But I'm like, <laughs> fill it up, Bubby. <laughs> you know? Like, I just can't help myself. And, like, that's the sign of having enjoyed myself, you know? So... Bravo. Bravo on the offer. And thank you, Mike, for, you know, being able to talk this with me and indulging my wine habit that I've developed (laughs) (laughs) on Uncle Francis Wine Cellar. I'm glad the frequency isn't going to be as frequent um, because it'll give us some time to do some really deep research and honestly give me less hangovers per week. But uh, <laughs> but we're going to need to do that, especially for the first film we're covering, The Godfather, right? It might take two. It could even take three episodes. Who knows? We'll see how it goes. But that is the film of films. We're going to be revisiting it. And maybe I'll mention this on The Godfather episode, but I'll mention this now as well. Screw it. I'll play this clip as many times as I want. Mike, I'm going to send you <laughs> a, a clip. You have seen this clip. You have seen this movie because... You've covered this actor. And 
it, it is so true. So I'm a brilliant businessman. It's what I do best. What's your business? No. Mm-mm. No specifics. Remember? Okay. <clears throat> well, minus specifics, it's hard to help, except to say, go to the mattresses. Except to say, go to the mattress. What? What does that mean? It's from the Godfather. It means you have to go to war. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is it with men? What is it with men and the Godfather? Hello. <laughs> oh, come on. Hello. Well. Oh, uh, what can I? Michael, come on. The Godfather is the I Ching. The Godfather is the sum of all wisdom. Uh, the Godfather is the answer to any question. What should I pack for my summer vacation? Leave the gun, uh, take the canola. What day of the week is it? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. The answer to your question is go to the mattresses. Go to the mattresses. You're at war. It's not personal, it's business. It's not personal, it's business. It's business. Recite that to yourself every time you feel you're losing your nerve. Okay, I gotta, I gotta stop it. Why? I gotta stop Why? It. I don't, because I... I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. You're this. a Hanks guy. You're a Godfather guy. I'm more of a sleepless in Seattle guy than a you've got mail guy, but uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like, I don't know. It's, this is a tough one. Are we going to get into this on the you show? You don't need to talk. You've got mail it? today. I just wanted to play the clip, Mike. <laughs> okay. 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 Yes. From you've got mail. It's Tom Hanks explaining how the Godfather is everything essentially the godfather is so important to so many people and i'm honored to be able to talk about it i am sure you are as well and i really can't wait so stay tuned on this feed uncle francis's wine cellar i cannot wait to talk godfather how about you mike oh i mean no uh i'm ready like i'm so sort of infused with godfather stuff right now that i'm I got to see it, you know, like we got to watch it first. Definitely. And we better both be enjoying wine. Maybe we'll be together for that episode in person. Maybe it'll be on hey. Zoom like this, but we should both be enjoying some Francis Coppola wine and talking this film, The Godfather. Oh, my God. So thank you so much. Cellar dwellers, nephews, whatever interests you had <laughs> in Coppola. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and maybe watching if we've cut this into clips. <laughs> um, Mike, where can people follow you, find you? Okay. Um, you could follow me on Twitter at the underscore Mikester. And you could find all the other shows I'm on at cageclub.me. Um, the titular Cage Club with me and Joey Lewandowski, where we review all of Nicolas Cage movies. That was the first show. Uh, we reviewed Unbearable Way to Massive Talent recently. So check that out. It's on demand and blu-ray and 4k uh, third times a charm is the show that i do on my own mostly brian is my own official co-host it's the third of every month where i review the third installment of a franchise godfather 3 brian and i if you want a little sneak preview we talked about that movie twice already over on third times a charm so maybe you could go get a little uh 
you know, sneak peek over there. And then the Monsters That Made Us is the final Friday of every month where me and Dan Cologne are looking at the history of the Universal Monster movie. So check all that out, cageclub.me. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. It's going to be a while until we cover The Godfather 3 because we've covered it already. But I can't wait to talk The Godfather 3 again. Twice? (laughs) You covered it twice? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Love The Godfather 3. We'll we'll get there. Immobilati. Immobilati. And if you're listening, you're like, you love The Godfather 3? Oh, my favorite lines of of everything is in Godfather 3. And you know what's funny, Mike, about The Godfather 3? Just when you thought you were out. They pulled you back in. You're so right. Brian, Brian, if if you don't like Godfather 3, you're a liar. And all bastards are liars. (laughs) Shakespeare wrote poems about it. Oh, my God. Okay, so yes. We'll we'll just address this quickly because I know there are listeners out there who are like, you guys like the Godfather 3? That's sacrilegious. I've been hearing it my whole life. And I didn't my think I liked it one that movie. Much, but my covering it for your show and the coda, we had so much fun. Is it even close to the movie that the first two Godfathers are? Absolutely not. Is it fun and deserving of your attention and rewatch? Absolutely. But we will get there. We will get there. Follow the show on Instagram, Uncle Francis Wine Cellar, and follow me on Twitter, Oh My Rodriguez. Also, listen to my other show, High School Slumber Party, where I cover teen films. Mike, you're pretty much the unofficial co-host on that show these days. (laughs) we got a lot to talk about there, a lot to do. So uh, check us out on that show. And you mentioned, you know, all your other shows, Monsters That Made Us as well. The wildly successful Monsters That Made Us, I should say. But thank you, thank you, thank you for bearing with us with the offer. And next time, we give you an offer you can't refuse. Because we talk the the Godfather. Woo! So Mike, Mike, Mike. Very cool. Our finishing line is from The Godfather, so why don't you say it? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. We might have to bring some live cannolis in studio for that one. We'll see. Ooh, I could, uh, I could do that. That'd be cool. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend. Of our elaborate plans The end Of everything that stands The end No safety or